So I don't know when you're going to be listening to this episode. I don't know if you're listening to it before the game because we hustled and were able to do everything in post-production and have this episode up in time for the game, or if uh, we didn't um, because it was just too quick a flash to bang and we waited until after the game. But either way, it will not dilute your enjoyment of this episode. Uh, I was privileged enough to have Charlie, Marshall McGurk, and Mike Kelvington on the show. So you have a West Point professor and two West Point graduates and very accomplished West Point graduates on to discuss the importance of the Army-Navy game. Um, They also go on record with scores and predictions, which is a bold move and should add to your enjoyment, especially if you're listening to this after the game and you have the benefit of hindsight. Um, I say this during the episode, but I'm going to say it here as well. We tried mightily to get a Naval Academy graduate on the show. Uh, We did not uh, manage to pull that off. So it is an incredibly biased, incredibly uh, partial and partisan um, panel that we're dealing with. That's a lot of alliteration. Uh, But anyway, uh, that's what we had. Uh, So it's all Army. Um, but we don't really, uh, you know, these are all officers and gentlemen. Uh, we, we didn't dog on Navy too much, uh, during the show. And in fact, uh, went out of our way to be even handed. I think at, at a bunch of points. Anyway, it was a fun episode. Um, something great for the holidays. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, and I, you're definitely going to want to hear Marshall and Mike's recollections. They had a lot of fun stories and, and fun context they brought, uh, to the discussion. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is the Weekly Havoc. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Havoc, where we engage in a roundtable discussion with the staff and writers at Havoc Journal, try to make a little order out of chaos. Lieutenant Colonel Mike Kelvington graduated from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point in May 2005, which with a bachelor's degree in American history and commissioned as an infantry officer, he has experience overseas in special operations, counterterrorism, counterinsurgency. He has over 14 deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, and some other places, including with the 75th Ranger Regiment. He's been awarded the Bronze Star Medal with Valor and two Purple Hearts for wounds sustained in combat. He's a Downing Scholar, holds three master's degrees from Princeton, Liberty, and Regent Universities, and he now serves as the professor of military science and leadership at the Ohio State University Army ROTC. He's also married to a guest you guys might remember from, God, it was probably like two or three or maybe even four months ago, uh, our former guest, Meg Kelvington, who herself was a 2006 West Point graduate and served eight years in the Army as a Blackhawk and RC-12 pilot. He is also the brother of a U.S. Naval Academy graduate, and he has four children as well. It's been a long time. We're excited. We finally got Mike on the show. Mike, welcome. Hey, thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Marshall McGurk is also back. And Marshall, if you guys remember, is an Army officer currently serving on active duty as an observer coach trainer at Fort Polk, Louisiana. He's been on active duty for 15 years with two deployments to Iraq, one deployment to Afghanistan. And he was, um, oh, well, I should say we got always put out the disclaimer because he's on active duty. His views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views of the Army 
or the Department of Defense. And I guess for that matter, for all of our guests, we should put that disclaimer out. I'm realizing this is one of the rare episodes we actually have three people still in uniform on the show. Um, but regardless, it's great to see you again, Marshall. Great to see you, and especially great to see uh, Mike. We were classmates. It's been a long time uh, since we've actually uh, seen each other, so this is great. Charlie Faint is, of course, with us again. Charlie, as everybody should know by now, is an active-duty Army intelligence officer. He's deputy director of the Modern War Institute at West Point. He has previous assignments throughout both conventional and special operations, including JSOC. He has seven deployments in addition to operational tours in Egypt, the Philippines, and Korea, three master's degrees, currently a PhD candidate, executive director of the Second Mission Foundation, on the board of the Veterans Repertory Theater, and of course, he is the owner of the Havoc Journal. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me back on the show. I'm really excited to be here with two of my longtime friends, Mike and Marshall. And I was just thinking while you're doing the intros, Chris, this is one of the first shows we've had where everyone's a former or current or former soft guy, right? You got Mike, who's a ranger. You got Marshall, who is special forces. And you got you and me, who are, are soft support guys. So this is, ought to be a good show when we roll into Army Navy week. Yeah, thanks for trying to include me in that. Um, I'm, I'm suffering from a strong case of imposter syndrome right now because not only uh, – Am I glad to have you guys on the show, but I feel very underqualified. I also feel underqualified because um, I'm the only enlisted guy and we're talking Army Navy, which is something that I know of no enlisted person. And maybe it's just my own experience. But in 14 years, I never met another enlisted person that cared about the Army Navy game. <laughs> this always seemed like an officer thing. And so when Charlie said today, he's like, you know, if you can't make the show today because I'm we're renovating the house. I'm living in a hotel. I had to move rooms today. It was a whole big thing. And I, he's like, you know, if you can't make the show today, I can host. And I was like, you know, this is a show that really Charlie would have a lot more insight on probably than I do, but I'm here doing my duty, fulfilling the obligation. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pimp you guys out for a lot of answers because I, I don't have a ton of opinions on it, except a jaded NCO-ish kind of opinion that probably will get very old very quickly. But let me start with that just as a jumping off point. Um, first off, God, before I even get into, into my um, piece, I should also say, yes, we are acutely aware that this is an unbelievably biased show. We are acutely aware that we have no other service members, uh, nobody else representing other services on the show, especially no Navy personnel on the show. It was not for lack of trying before you torch us over this. Um, Charlie knocked himself out to try to get Navy personnel on the show. None happened to be available. So we did our due diligence. It just didn't pan out the way we had planned. So lest anybody cast aspersions, uh, that should be said. Now, let me dive into the actual game itself. Why is this game important? Let's just start there. And when, we, when, we, when I fish that question out there to you guys, I think what I'm looking for is why is it important to somebody that didn't go to West Point doesn't teach at West Point, doesn't have a personal connection with the service academies. Is the game important to them? And if so, why? Uh, Charlie, let me start with you. I think it's a great question. And, and you mentioned earlier, Chris, about how the enlisted folk don't really care about the Army-Navy game. And to some degree, that's true for officers as well. Uh, when Before I came here to teach, as you know, I went to Mercer University down in, in Georgia. I didn't pay much attention to the Army-Navy game because, I mean, my, my team at my class at the time didn't even have a football team. What Mercer didn't get a football team until after I left. But I came to realize, on especially on deployments, 
the excitement that surrounds it and the pranks and things like that. And I began to appreciate how big a deal it was and how important it was for people who really had no affiliation with it. It's the army team that that is represented by West Point is what it comes down to though. So even if you didn't go to West Point, you didn't teach here, you have no affiliation with it. Your sibling didn't go here, whatever. It's still your team. If you're in the army and same thing for the Navy and the air force has a team as well, that typically does pretty well. Not, not so great this year, better than Navy, thank goodness. Um, but it is important to us because of the history and the pageantry and the way that it brings people together. So this, this game in general and what's in football in particular brings folks together in a way that no, no nothing else does. So Americans really like American football. They like the military, you put those two things together. It makes for a pretty pretty interesting and important game. And I think also what it represents, it kind of represents the best of America. You have the military, you have young people on the field. There's our future right there. And I think that's the excitement and what makes it interesting for folks that aren't affiliated with West Point, Chris. Marshall, what do you think? You agree with that? I do. And it's a, and it's great to hear um, Charlie's perspective and, and it's great to see him as well. The, the, the thing that I remember is after graduating school, and especially the first five years after graduation, you know, that was 2005. That was right at the height of the war. You know, you got multiple deployments for classmates after that. Unfortunately, you know, some wounded, some killed. And so there's that connection, you know, back to the alma mater, but also the connection to the Army. And it was a lot of fun on, de- on those deployments. Um, you know, if you were a West Point alum, that was something that you just you banded together with your other with your classmates and other alums from different year groups to make it fun for everybody else. Because they did kind of have that similar question about like, oh, why should I care? Well, hey, look, it's a great time to sit down, you know, especially when you're, you know, when you're in Iraq, you know, or in Afghanistan, if you if you have the ability, you know, to sit around, a, you know, to sit around a TV or to sit around, a, you know, an Internet connection and, and watch the game, eat some great food, have some fun. Um, it, it just, it, it kind of livened everything up. Um, and then looking, you know, back on it even further now, uh, it's pretty amazing to see what, uh, you know, our classmates were able to do on the field. Um, Navy's class, you know, Navy's classes were able to do on the field, given the, just the restrictions that they have for recruiting. Um, it's, you know, going to, going to West Point, going to the Naval Academy to play football, um, not a football player myself, not even a collegiate athlete. However, I, I can, I can, you know, make the thought experiment that that is a different decision than attempting to go to LSU um, or to Texas um, to, to play football and then, you know, the, and, and the, and the, and the various programs there. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a great amount of fun for classmates, for alums. I remember trying to make it fun for, for everybody else. And usually everybody did have a, have a good time once they figured out what it was about. And uh, as Charlie said, Football, the Army, the Navy, you know, it's it's a great time no matter who's watching. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly American at its core. There's no two ways about it. Mike, uh, same question to you, but I'm going to actually put a little bit of a different spin on it because you are now an extremely partisan member of the Ohio State University family. So, you know, rivalries, both civilian and military alike. So in your answer, if you can incorporate just a sense of comparison contrast with um, what those two rivalries are look like, what are their, what are the similarities and what are the differences? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, first of all, the, the, the rivalry aspect of it is, uh, is pretty tense. It's, or, or intense rather. Um, 
at having experienced uh, firsthand and have followed uh, Buckeye football since I was a kid, you know, the game, as they call it uh, here, uh, and, and seeing it firsthand now on campus with all the all the M's X'd out in red tape across the entire campus, which is pretty vast here, um, as well as suffering through my first one in person, watching it at Ann Arbor uh, between Ohio State and that team up north. Um, but also making sure that I stayed in a hotel the night prior in Toledo and driving north with a full tank of gas. Um, so I think I think the uh, the rivalry with Army Navy is is definitely up there uh, w- with Ohio State and and that team up north. Uh, you know the 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 famous Woody Hayes quote because I couldn't go for three when asked why he went for two um, after uh, after a touchdown when the score was already at forty nine points. Um, you know, it's it's an incredible game, um, but as a as a history nerd um, and and major at West Point, uh, the the saying much of the history we teach was made by the people we taught. And uh, you know, I've got I've got General Patton in a in a picture here. Uh, I know we're doing a podcast, so people can't see it, but it was Woody Hayes who loved military history as well. And um, I think that the arc of American history in a lot of ways is synonymous with uh, the the growth of the game of football, uh, especially coming out of the Civil War. You could say the same thing with Abner Doubleday and uh, and and the, the game of baseball, of baseball as well. Sure. Uh, those two sports specifically, along with bas- basketball, are uniquely American. And, you know, kind of kind of coming out of um you know, the late 19th century, 1890 being the first year that Army Navy played each other. Um, but also even as recent as last year, uh, the first game was that took place was on the plane at West Point. Uh, Navy actually won. Um, but now in the 21st century COVID era, uh, the game last year being played at Mikey Stadium um, is, is pretty cool. Of course, it's even cooler that Army won that game. But uh, it's it's kind of cool. And then uh, a, a little bit of a, a, a subculture of Army football at West Point that some academy grads uh, would be familiar with is the game of sprint football, which is a college football uh, sport. But it's played with those that have to make weight like a wrestler. And I played sprint football for all four years at West Point as well. So I think if we go back and review the tape, the last Army football team to beat Navy in Mikey Stadium prior to last year was actually our team, the sprint football team, uh, which I, I had the joy of getting to do my junior year of beating Navy. I think the score was like 30 to 25 down to the wire uh, in Mikey Stadium uh, back in, gosh, it was 2003. Um, but then, you know, Marshall and I being classmates, you connect the game with other uh periods or or time periods in history uh my first army navy game experience was december of 2001 in old veteran stadium three wow. months after 9-11 yeah i remember that game yeah president bush was there mm-hmm. uh, but it was also special because my parents were there and my brother and i were both in our first semester at the service academies both did the march on all that kind of stuff so it was an incredibly uh, special, uh, momentous, and important uh, period uh, for a number of reasons. But it was uh, it was also the last game the Army won 
uh, for 14 years. So I think the other thing that while I hate to see the Buckeyes fall uh, two weeks ago um, in their rivalry game is good rivalries also exist because both teams win sometimes. Uh, And that's something that I think, you know, the back and forth of watching the ebb and flow of uh, Navy had a pretty successful uh, era in the 2000s. And then the rise of uh, or reemergence of the Army football team um, now being eight and three, winning 10 games, uh, you know, in the last couple of years. I mean, there's been some pretty significant milestones of things that haven't happened in Army football lore uh, since the mid 90s. I think 96 was the last time that they won. Uh, 10, 10 games and went to a bowl game. So pretty significant. So let me take the outsider's point of view on this, because I think there's one thing um, that stands out to me as a possible reason why the game remains so important, especially for, let's call them nonpartisan viewers, people that don't have a vested interest in seeing one side win versus another. And I think it's that it's one of the few times most Americans look and and see and watch and get invested a little bit in the military and it has nothing to do with combat and has nothing to do with something you're seeing on the news it's and it has nothing to do with um you know a pentagon press briefing it's uh sports and it's the infiltration of the military culture into sports in a way that has to help recruitment has to help public opinion about the military um that's important, right? I mean, that, that's a major pillar, a major line of effort of, of why this game stands out. Is it not? 100%. And Chris, the American military is still the most respected institution in America by any measure. A recent Quinnipiac poll noted that it's taken a downturn, which is unfortunate, but still way more respected than any certainly government institution, institution in America. But Chris, I think another reason that people watch this game is because it's going to be good football. Navy is three and eight right now. They suck at his football team, which is good for our chances. Nonetheless, even when Army was kind of at its worst, they're going to play a good game against Navy. Sure. And with the triple option, there's all all kind of fireworks and running and hard hitting that people love to see. So if for no other reason, if you like football, Army Navy game is a good one to watch. So I want to go back for one second, something Mike said, and I'm I'm gonna throw it out. I, I don't think it's controversial, but I don't know. Maybe it is. Let's see. Um, so Mike, you talked about the rise of America kind of coincided with the rise of football. Uh, the last couple of years, football is kind of taken a beating in a lot of quarters. Um, the politics involved, et cetera, et cetera. The viewerships dropped off a little bit. Um, and, and I'm, so I'm kind of asking a deeper, I don't want to say philosophical question, but I, I guess, do we think that there's still a reflection of the military and a still reflection of the country that football is the interest in it is in a, it, it may be a temporary or maybe permanent downturn. Do you think that reflects it all on the country as well? I'll take a stab at that one. And then maybe Marshall or Michael like yep. to, to jump in. So I was thinking about, I, I could see Mike and our viewers can't I see Mike, see that portrait on his wall. And I think it was a, a, quote attributed to Patton that Americans love to fight and they love a winner and won't tolerate a loser. And when you see winning and fighting, the the closest that most Americans will ever get, thankfully, to fighting 
is participating in these types of contact sports. So I think that's one of the reasons America likes it so much. And that's part of the American culture and part of our adventurous spirit. So I think it's a good indicator that people are still interested in these types of sports where you do have to be physical. There is teamwork and there's a chance you could get hurt. We want calculated risk takers and we need them for our military. And I think you get a lot of that in competitive sports. I dig it. Mike Marshall, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, Sports is a is a reflection of society, uh, so I, th- I think that there there are um, you know we as a society have have essentially afforded athletes that pedestal and that and that that uh, that soapbox right because we've endowed them with uh, voices not not just because of social media but I mean they've got money and influence and um, so I think I, I do think that. Uh, at times people go too far of mixing sports and politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, certainly I'm, I'm not one that you know, personally, I'm not a huge, uh, you know, take a knee during the national anthem kind of guy, but you know, that, that means something to different people. So I, I also uh, understand that that's a personal opinion and perspective. And it's, it's also okay in a country where we're supposed to, um, uh, appreciate and respect free speech that each individual is also also authorized to make those same choices. I don't think that it should also make them uh, victims of the circumstances of those decisions. Right. Right. Um, but, and, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, uh, you know, so I, I personally kind of abhor the mixing of sport uh, and politics. And I do think that that's why some people have tuned off their, their televisions recently Um, but in the spirit of this conversation, uh, a lot of that, you know, garbage for lack of a better term, it, it, it exists in professional sports, but not as much college sports. And now with name image likeness, to be honest with you, there's maybe a little bit less incentive for people to go pro early because they can now make money in that sport on a college campus. Um, so I think that, uh, myself included, has uh, tuned in more to college sports. I've kind of always yeah. loved college sports better anyway, because it's just more pure in the sense that people are pay- playing because they love the game. There's an opportunity to go pro, um, but you're still scrapping for it. So, you know, there's there's some conversations taking place right now about whether people should or shouldn't play in games like the Rose Bowl that may not matter for right. you know, college playoffs and stuff. I I personally don't like that, but Again, those are individual decisions that people have to live with. Um, so, yeah, yeah. no, I, absolutely. It's, it's, and, and I think you bring up a good point. The pageantry is kind of what makes college football so cool and it differentiates it from the pros in so many ways. And I also think to my earlier question, it also is uniquely American. And, and it, I think a lot of people, you know, see pageantry, not just for what it is in the moment, but they think of it as a historical artifact as, as something that you're coming back to year in, year out. It's that consistency. It's that building of identity. It's a story that our culture tells ourselves about ourselves. And, um, and certainly army Navy has no shortage of that. Um, I, I would, sorry, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So I, I want to throw in a, a, a interesting quote that kind of came to mind as we were talking about this, uh, former Senator James Webb, who's a, a, a Naval Academy grad, one time was asked about uh, 
the behavior of cadets and midshipmen, and some people may negatively look at it as like a celebration of masculinity in a, in a negative light, but it's also, I think, an acknowledgement that we are entering a profession where, uh, as you say at the beginning of all these Weekly Havoc uh, podcasts, trying to make sense of chaos, that is our job, is to professionally manage violence and to provi- uh, provide and, and put lethal precision fires on the enemy to, to bend their will. That's, that's our job as officers outside of putting on a football uniform when we put the real uniform on later on. The quote is, midshipmen and cadets remain stronger and more aggressive than their male counterparts at civilian schools. They eagerly play sports such as rugby, boxing, karate, lacrosse, and football. They drive fast cars, usually sports cars. They play hard. They drink hard. They're physical, often abusive among each other. They're not trying to prove their manhood. They're celebrating their masculinity. They are competitive, often vulgar and tough. And every citizen who may someday send a friend or relative into war should rejoice because combat is competitive, vulgar, and tough. Mm -hmm. And they will be leading men, and I'd add women, in combat. Um, and, and I think that there's something to be said of the tradition of the Army Navy football game that kind of celebrates and captures that quote. Um, football is a violent sport. So is combat. Uh, but but there is no uh, fourth quarter um, and, and, uh, and it's not a game, but that's uh, it's how it plays out in a competitive uh, thing. And then if if I have to channel my. Uh, I believe inner General MacArthur um, upon the fields of friendly strife are sown the the seeds that upon other fields on other days will bear the fruits of victory. And that's something that all the cadets, at least uh, in the army, had to memorize. Um, It's a, you know, it's a quote directly talking about sport and the importance of athletics at the academy. And I'd also add in ROTC, scholar athlete leader are the three buckets how ROTC candidates that want to come here are assessed as high schoolers coming into college and being determined whether or not they're a quality uh, person that we would want to bring into the ROTC program because those are the type of people we want leading our men and women in combat. Uh, the The parallels are absolutely there and I think you're you're right. I think that is I, I'm just going to speak personally when I I haven't watched football, college, or professional in years for a story that's very boring and off topic. But when I did watch football, the joy I got in watching the Army Navy game was you felt like it was about a lot more than just the game. Like it really, and especially after 9 11. And I remember that game that you were at, Mike, um, you know, on December, in December uh, after 9 11 happened. And certainly the ones in those first couple of years after there was a real sense of the country coming together, rooting for the service members, and also really getting a peek behind the curtain at who it was that was not just volunteering to join, not just volunteering to go overseas and deploy and do all that stuff, but was also multitasking right now. It was not the traditional college experience. It was going, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and live this, I guess for lack of a better word, more austere environment than a normal college kid would be living. And also add to that the obligations of a D1 athlete, which, Marshall, I know you brought up, and I think that's a great point. And I guess, Marshall, let me ask you, how did you regard the athletes in your class, the guys that were the wrestlers and the and the football players was like, God damn, I'm taking my foot off the gas for a second now, and you're going out and doing this practice. Holy shit. Like, 
you know, like, was there a sense of awe about it? Was there a sense of like, Hey, I better step on the gas too. Cause look what these guys are doing. Like, what did that mean? How did, how did you internalize that? Oh, that is, uh, that, that is, I'll encapsulate it like this. It, it quickly became, um, it quickly became that awe that you talked about. Um, because I, I went through West Point and I, I will, I will, I will admit it freely. I struggled. You know, the joke is like, what'd you major in? I majored in graduation. And, uh, you know, and I, and I say that in jest, you know, I, I improved over the last couple of years I was there, but it was, it was difficult. And so to see my classmates who had, um, you know, a, the same course load that we had, um, as well as their D1 obligations, the travel obligations, um, you know, it quickly became, you know, in some, in some regards, an inspiration to just, Hey, look, there's, there's always somebody who's got it worse, um, in a sense, you know, higher, you know, higher workload. Um, uh, what are they doing that makes themselves successful? Um, and what, and what do I need to do to improve? Um, I was laughing earlier because Mike brought up the MacArthur quote and I pulled out my bugle notes again, no, we're on a podcast and folks can't see it, but this is a small gray book that every cadet gets to memorize their pre plebe knowledge and new cadet knowledge when they first start at the Academy, uh, during the, uh, the summer training and then the first year there, um, and and I, and I guess I can kind of loop this back with your earlier question, Chris, because, you know, for me, I'll take a different approach. Um, I, I still like watching pro sports. Um, it, there could be, you know, I, you know, this is Marshall McGurk's assessment. Uh, you know, I remember being a, a young kid and in football was Sunday and Monday. And I look forward to those two days. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a dilution of the brand, you know, across multiple days. I don't know. But what I will tell you is that with Army and with Navy, we are on brand, on brand year after year. And to share a personal story with that, I worked my last job here at, uh, here at Fort Polk. I worked, one of my colleagues was a Naval Academy graduate who's an Army officer, Army officer Green Beret. You know, we got him eventually. Yeah, you know, yeah, that was the Jesus. joke. But Army-Navy game, I'm over at his house. <laughs> you know, he's wearing his Navy jersey. He was a Navy football player. Um and to, to just hear his stories again about, you know, balancing the academics and the, uh, you know, and playing football to hearing his stories about being at Annapolis, you know, just my own experiences being a cadet in the stands, um, you know, making posters, making spirit videos, um, you know, conducting the March on, you know, which again is part of that, that pageantry that we all see uh, and just kind of having that common bond because at the end when um when the, the team sang their alma mater and, uh, you know, I believe it is, you always want to sing last because that means you won. Um, you know, he stood up, you know, and, and sang his alma mater and I stood up and, and sang the alma mater and just the, I mean, I'm getting moved just speaking about that experience, which was just last year. Um, you know, and that's, uh, that's what I mean by it. It is, you know, as far as recruitment, as far as, you know, the game being special, it is on brand year after year after year consistently um, about, you know, you know, young, young people on, on the fields of friendly strife, like, like, you know, like the quote from General MacArthur that, that Mike just mentioned on the fields of friendly strife, just, you know, duking it out on the football field. And it's great. Marshall, when was the last time you were at army Navy? The last time I was at an army Navy game uh, was actually um, December of of 2004. Um, subsequent to the year after that, uh, I was able to watch a few Army Navy games. 
um, you know, from deployed locations, mm-hmm. um, watched a few at some restaurants and bars. Um, and then, you know, funny enough, my cousin who my cousins all lived in Northern Virginia, they were able to come up for a few, right? So for cadets, especially when family can be there, especially as a younger cadet, that's a great time to see your family um, and to take a break from the school. Uh, and I, and I'm, you know, I, I looked at, you know, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, I, I really want to go to the army Navy game next year. Um, because I, I miss it. And, it, yeah. and you know, you see you prompting that question, you know, reminds me of that conversation. It, it's been a, it's been a long time. I always enjoy watching it. My hat's off to the, to the cadets that still do it. Um, because I, I know it's not easy. You quickly learn as a cadet that the division one athletes are not slouches by any stretch of the imagination. Right. So yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a long time. Mike, because you were playing, um, you know, your kind of modified form of football when you were at West point, how did you regard the D one athletes? Were you like, yeah, I could do that if I wanted. Uh, or, or did you think now you guys are, are a, a cut above and I'm not totally there yet. Um, I mean, obviously you went on to do a lot of physically challenging things in, in Ranger regiment. I uh, did. you ever go? Yeah. Where are you, where are you motherfuckers at now? Like, yeah, Hey, I'm doing this where you better be here too. Was there, was there ever a sense of competitiveness? Did it spur you? What was your take on it? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the sprint players always called the, the D the D one, um, you know, football team, the fat boys. So the fat boy team. So there was the sprint team and the fat boy team. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but but I, I, like Marshall talked about, I had an absolute, um, I mean, you want to talk about the Academy and uh, there's an incredible book written by, I think it was a Rolling Stone author called Absolutely American that followed, uh, I think it was the bicentennial class of, of West Point through their four year experience. It's an incredible book and it, it really does capture a lot of what we've been talking about of the rise of uh, rise of the, the country, the, the, the importance of football, life at the academy. Uh, it's, it's a, it's an incredible book. Um, I read it as a cadet and thought it captured the climate on campus very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, one of the, the, the kind of, you know, real person, but characters of the book was an army football player. Um, <clears throat> Jerry, Jerry Pegram and Matt Maimone uh, are the names I'll throw out in this story because you want to talk about a melting pot of people. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was, a uh, Three, uh, three guys, uh, all in a plebe, uh, three-person room. My spring semester of my first year at West Point, uh, I lived with a basketball player and a linebacker from the mm-hmm. Fat Boy team. So you had a sprint football player, a football player, and a basketball player. Our room always smelled like a dirty sock. Um, but, you know, uh, two white guys and a black guy uh, abiding on three different um, you know, varsity teams, yeah. uh, at the Academy, a uh, lot of testosterone, a lot of fun, love those guys. Um, and, and you love to see what they do, you know, outside of, outside of, uh, the Academy and careers in and outside the military. Like, like Marshall said, there's a, there's a ton of people doing great stuff, both still in uniform and out of uniform, um, that are tied to this game or sport. So, I mean, army Navy for Jerry meant something completely different on the basketball court. Um, cause he's in season while he's going to the football game. Right. Sure. Um, and normally it was, uh, the fat boy game was usually a couple weeks removed from us playing our army Navy football game, uh, on the sprint team. So, um, I, I just wanted to share a, a, a probably, you know, 
the 2001 game was probably the most momentous game. Um, I've been to the Army Navy game a, a couple times since then. I've seen one in, uh, you know, uh, I was there for the the Meadowlands uh, drubbing. It was 58 to 12. 2002, that started the 14-year streak for Navy. Yeah. That was a painful one to watch and very cold. Um, I've been back to Lincoln Financial with Corey Remsburg, uh, a wounded ranger that was there as a guest uh, for the game. Got to catch up with him. Uh, so it was a great uh, opportunity to link up with one of my old wounded rangers from when I served in 1st Ranger Battalion. Uh, I've gone to one in Maryland at FedEx Field uh, with my brother uh, since then. My wife obviously has been with me to a couple of the Army Navy games. Um, <clears throat> we already talked about the 2001 game. Uh, obviously, very serious. President Bush was there. It meant a lot, you know. Um, probably other than the Yankees game that he threw out the first pitch, and there's a whole ESPN 30 for 30 story on that about how important it was. To yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Strike. Yeah. Instead of throwing it in the yeah. dirt, and what that meant, and whether or not he was going to wear body armor and everything else, but. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I remember tearing up when that pitch was thrown. I, I, I remember how momentous that was, especially as a New Yorker. Oh God. Yeah. That was a huge moment. And that's, that's why I abhor the mixing of politics and sports so much because sports are supposed to bring people together. Yeah. And that's what I think the army Navy game does is, is uh, it also, I think recognizes the importance of jointness. So I, you know, I'd be remiss not to throw the air force out there. Right. Um, so there, there's another game that exists with the service academies that are important. And it matters for the commander in chief's trophy, too, if you're keeping score. Um, but the, the, the game that I think has meant the most to me recently was the 2017 game when uh, Navy missed that field goal in the snow. Um, and uh, the, the beautiful camouflage that the Army team was playing that year because they were honoring the 10th Mountain was an all-white uniform. So it was a joke about, you know, Army wearing camouflage to the game. But uh, I was actually in Kabul, and I watched that game with my task force uh, folks uh, overseas. And um, there was uh, a 2000 grad, uh, a, a if I remember correct, myself as a 2004 grad, there was a 2008 grad, a uh, 11 grad, and I think a 14 grad. Um, so there was five of us in this small team of a couple dozen people that were all West Pointers watching the game together, freezing our butts off outside and lighting cigars in the in the honor of Jim Webb's, uh, you know, quote, with torches. Um, you know, and, and just having a good time outside. I think I had my, my wife, uh, had mailed me my 82nd Jersey from the, the game prior. So I could wear that, uh, out and we, you know, we got pictures and everything, but it was just a momentous game that, uh, you had all these West pointers deployed in the combat zone that had, had yeah. randomly in the mixing bowl of life had been placed in one spot and, uh, to watch them, you know, win in such a fashion in a big game like that. Uh, in Afghanistan was pretty meaningful to me. I, I've had a, a, a lot of other meaningful ones too with my family and my wife and my brother at home. Um, but that one was pretty memorable to me. Um, so I, I wanted to mention that one too, especially as we've all kind of uh, had our funeral over uh, Afghanistan over the last couple of months and kind of what that's meant to all of us, which I, I don't think we want to touch on in this podcast, but um, certainly a significant and uh, joyful moment 
that I remember from my time in Afghanistan and it revolved around the army Navy game with a couple West pointers. Yeah. I mean, well, to be clear, we always want to touch on that because I don't want anyone to forget that. And I don't think we will for very long, but it would definitely extend this podcast into like a four hour marathon, which probably no one has the time for right now. Um, Charlie, for you, is the Army Navy game a holiday? Do you never miss it? Is it every year, whether you're at West Point or not? Is this a thing that you're that you want to watch? So yeah, because I feel connected in it. This is my seventh year teaching at West Point. Even though I didn't go to school here, I spend more time here than most grads at this point. So I feel connected to it, even though it's not the same type of connection that Mike and Marshall have, for example, because they they live the experience. I'm just observing it from the outside. But my last deployment, and I'll put that in quotes because it involved me living in a four-star hotel downtown Manila. But my last deployment to the Philippines. With combat pay, though, right? No, no, no. With, <laughs> with, with per diem, even oh, better. Oh, wow. Beautiful. So uh, when I was with uh, the joint U.S. military assistance group, Just Mag, uh, one of the things they had me doing, they put me in charge of the different service LNOs. So we had Navy, Marine, Army, Air Force, and Coast Guard all working together, got along great. And one of the things they did was like, oh, you are obliquely connected to West Point. You're now in charge of the big Army-Navy game at the embassy. So we had, uh, the embassy was super supportive. Of course, the time zone difference is, is way off. So I think at two in the morning, we were doing this game. And just as, as an example of the power and the connectivity of it, there are a lot of Filipinos are graduates of West Point. And there are a lot of American graduates of West Point. So all these guys are showing up, all these men and women coming for this game. And one of the former presidents of the Philippines is a West Point grad. And he showed up with his little sweater on. I believe President Ramos showed up with his sweater on from West Point and came and watched the game with us at the embassy. Just the power of the draw of that game in, in West Point. And two of the, two of the people that were working for me as LNOs were company grade Navy grads. And they're they actually classmates. Although interestingly, they didn't know each other at the Academy. Mm. They were classmates, but there's a thousand plus people. You don't know. Yeah, right. Class. right sure. And they delayed their departure from the Philippines. so They could stay and help huh. run the game. Now that wasn't an arm twist. It wasn't like it's a difficult assignment. They, they, I mean, who doesn't want to stay for a party, especially when you're young, but it, it's meaningful to me as well. And then last year, my daughter actually got to go. So as I think it was Mike mentioned, it was at Mikey stadium that was here for the first time in years, decades. And we won uh, 15, nothing if memory serves. And my daughter got to come to that. She got to, we, we had her as one of the official photographers. And it was one quick story about that before I turn back over to you, Chris, at the, towards the end of the game, they had us there in uniform to keep the, the, the squids and the middies, the middies and the, the cadets from fighting. Nobody wanted to fight. Everyone was just there to watch a game. And then towards, as the seconds ticked down, it was clear we were going to win. The cadets start coming up to the, um, to the, they're going to storm the field. And that's one of the things we were supposed to prevent. But what am I going to do? I'm 50 years old. I'm in a trench coat and there's a, a thousand, 4,000 uh, motivated cadets. And then I never forget, they came across the speaker and said, Hey, just as a reminder, anyone who goes onto the field afterwards is going to have to stick around for COVID protocols and won't be able to go on winter break. And everyone just kind of melted back into the stands. I was like, that was the most brilliant piece of administrative thought that I ever did. No threats, because what are you going to threaten with? You're going to have to walk hours. I'm still going to store in the field. Oh, I can't go home for Christmas. I'm going to sit back down. So great experiences all around. <laughs> I have a lot of follow-ups questions to that, but I'll, I'll leave them uh, for offline. Uh, in the interest of time, Marshall, uh, the Army Navy game, how much of that is 
it for you personally, a, a door opening. So you can talk about your experiences with your family, with friends and all that. Does it serve that purpose because it's something that you don't miss and that you're, you know, gets the family included in a sense, it, in a sense it is, there was, um, there was definitely, you know, it was great last year, again, being, being, you know, with a Naval Academy grad who is now my, you know, my Green Beret colleague and brother, you know, and hearing his perspective, sharing stories about the, you know, the things that we've done in the regiment and the people that we've worked with. Um, but especially early on, it was, it was great to kind of have it just be a mini reunion um, mm-hmm. of classmates, especially, um, I think it might've been a little bit easier, um, you know, graduated. Most of us were lieutenants, most of us, you know, large cohorts in our basic branches, most of us not married at the time, you know, or, or newly married. So there's, there's a lot of various ways at these bases where you can kind of link up, um, you know, like I said, go to, you know, go to a restaurant, go to a bar, watch the game. Um, and then in that, those opportunities, you know, unfortunately they fade over time, um, as, as people's families grow. Um, but, you know, as far as an opening to, you know, what it really is an opening for Chris and, and, and I'd like to, you know, put this in there it was an opening to, to give them a little bit behind the curtain of what West Point life was like. Mm. Um, because it is, you know, even, you know, the cadets that are there today are, are top notch. Um, I will say that, that I, I still get, you know, we still get the recruit material and the mailing, you know, alumni material from West Point. My assessment is that West Point has no trouble. And I can assume the Naval Academy has no trouble meeting its recruitment goals um, and meeting its goals for people who want to attend, um, that, you, you know, that, that university and that prestigious college. Um, it is different than say going to an LSU or going to, you know, Georgia or, or, or university of Washington, but you still cut up and have fun. Uh, especially during army Navy week, the, the goal there was what a thousand pushups, you know, uh, you know, what was it, Mike, a thousand pushups a day or something ridiculous like that to beat, to beat Navy. You're making posters and spirit videos. Um, you're doing silly things, which might make you walk hours, but that's a, you know, that's a worthwhile fine. If it's a, if it's worthy enough to give you a great laugh in an institution, which, uh, you know, sometimes for an 18 year old is short on laughs, um, (laughs) and may not find your antics as funny as you do. Um, it was really kind of a way for me to connect with them to, to, you know, I, I, I accept the, you know, I, I freely accept and receive the acknowledgements, you know, when people say, Oh, West Point, that's a big deal. I was like, yeah. And it was also a lot of fun. Um, and, and let me, let me give you some, some insight into that and some of the fun things that we used to do. So it, uh, it, uh, it makes for a lot of, makes for a lot of fun, a lot of good times, it, uh, especially talking about games where it was cold. Um, the, you know, you understand why you do it. Um, you understand that the pageantry and the, and the honor of it and the moving emotional feel of it is important. Um, <laughs> but I also remember cadet upperclassmen going into like certain sections you know, of the stadium where the, where they had heaters near the bathrooms, you know, and they're like, cadets out, like, get out, get, get back into the stands. Um, Cause it was, it was, uh, it was pretty cold, but still, you know, I, I, I say that memory and I, and I laugh because it, right. it, it is what it is. It's just part of the fun. Yeah. It's a fun part of the suck. Right. Uh, Mike, I'm going to ask, I'm going to end kind of our personal round table uh, with, with a very unfair question. And I know we said, the answers given here do not necessarily reflect anything except your opinion, not the Department of Defense or anything else, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you go to Ohio State, Michigan, or do you go to Army, Navy, if you can only go to one? And you oh, can damn. you can plead the fifth. You can plead the fifth. You can <laughs> you can tap out. I, I see that. 
I see the the head, the head not the head shaking right there. Um, Chris, that's a great question. <laughs> Why really, didn't ask it to me? Yeah, it's <laughs> a really good question. Um, I, I would I would go the political route on this one and just say uh, I have the luxury, if I want to, or so choose, based on my current job position and op tempo, and not being constantly deployed. That if I wanted to go to both, I could. Um, and last year, uh, Army and Ohio State had bowl games, one one possibly more significant than the other because it led to another bowl game. But, um, you know, kind of a cool uh, personal family story. We talked about my brother, but on my mom, uh, my excuse me, my wife's side of the, the family, um, she's also an academy grad, uh, class of 06, whose parents are class of 80 and 81. So her 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 mom and dad. Uh, her mom's the second class of uh, uh, females to graduate from the academy. She also has an older uncle, uh, early 70s, who recently passed, but was also a, a West Point grad. And then her little sister uh, married an Army football player um, and are both a class of 14. So um, last year we we watched uh, the, the bowl game um, over the holidays. Uh, with with uh, my in-laws and uh, my my sister and brother-in-law so um, we got some great pictures of of six West Pointers all in one family um, through through marriage at least um, and we all got to enjoy the the Army Bowl game together which was awesome uh, that's very cool watch my Buckeyes play too but um, yeah that that one was really cool and I, I just wanted to throw out one additional anecdote for those that don't understand the importance of the rivalry. Um, a little story, uh, two games before the, the, the Navy game, um, when I was a, a senior firsty at West Point, I pulled my hamstring playing Penn. Um, we had a bye week, so I had about two and a half weeks to recover from that, to both figure out still how to drop about 15 pounds to make weight um, but also try to recover for the Navy game. I pulled my hamstring again in the warmups of the Navy game. Um, we ended up losing, but I played the entire game at middle linebacker, still had 11 tackles. Um, but I, I, uh, I played the whole game with a pulled hamstring. We wrapped it up. I took, I took the, the classic drink some water, rub some dirt on it, take some ibuprofen army uh, medic treatment. Um, but there was no way in hell I was going to miss that game. My last game of my senior year, you would have had to drug me off with broken bones, um, to not let me, not let me suit up and play that game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would not go back and change that other than the outcome of the game, uh, for a minute. So, I uh, just wanted to throw those kind of family no, stories out there that, that, uh, and that, that does, that sums up so much about the game. Um, I would also say if Ohio ever has an open senatorial seat, uh, I think that answer qualifies you as a perfect candidate to run with that kind of uh, ducking, bobbing, and weaving, and ducking the question. But I respect that was the, there was no good way that would, that question was going to be answered. Hey, Chris, um, they, they teach us that at O school. That's like dude, that's like yeah. day one. The answers to difficult questions. The, the, well, only then, thing, like, the only thing I think I think could have been done more is the uh, the politician, you know, uh, fist where you where you put the thumb in there and you you know <laughs> purse your lips and um, 
they always, I think, thanking the interviewer for a great question and then pontificating on that for five minutes is a good way of getting out of it. <laughs> and then not answering at all. Thank and not answering at all. Here's the yeah. answer I'm actually yeah. going to get. Yeah. And then this is why that question is why America is so great. You know, <laughs> yeah, somehow making that work. I um, ask your question with a question. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. Could have been that too. Um, so, Michael, I'll ask you a more fair question. Uh, tell us about Army ROTC and why people should be, uh, especially high school, the imminent high school graduates should be considering it right about now. Yeah. So um, actually speaking of Ohio politics, um, I, I recently got invited and was honored to be a part of Congressman, Congressman Balderson, 12th district Congressman from Ohio uh, on his service Academy selection board. Um, so I was able to, as a constituent participate in that for the first time ever as a, as an Academy grad. Uh, it was a great experience. I do uh, PMS, Professor of Military Science, interviews for anybody coming to the ROTC. Um, but one of the things I talked about uh, in those interviews that I had the opportunity to do is educate folks on kind of a, a plan B option. You know, we're talking about Army, Navy. I'm a West Point grad. I'm also the PMS here at Ohio State uh, for the Army ROTC. Um, I think it's a great opportunity. And also, um, the end state is the same. Um, so whether it's officer candidate school, it's RTC, or it's one of the service academies, if you want to serve in the army and be an officer and pin second lieutenant bars on, there's many avenues to get there. Um, ROTC is one of them. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously biased in a lot of ways in this discussion, but I think that the program that I'm in is incredible. I think our cadre is incredible. I think the university and the resources we have here are incredible. And, if you want to come and uh, learn how to become a leader of character, uh, we recently had branch night and Charlie, you know, wrote an incredible article that I ended up sharing with my cadets before we did their branch reveal. And I said, look, <clears throat> you know, I stole Charlie's talking points, but immaterial of what branch, and that could be military or what branch in the army or component for that matter. Cause in the ROTC, you're not uh, directly going into the active force like uh, the service academy um, at West Point, you can go National Guard or Reserve as well. Regardless of component and regardless of branch, uh, every soldier is entitled to good leaders. And 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 you know there are certain things that you will be asked to do that are immaterial of branch and component that that we expect of you. We expect you to be a leader of character. We expect you to be a warfighter. We expect you to be tactically and technically proficient in your craft, and we expect you to be a servant leader, not just for the people that you lead, but also for the nation. That's directly from Charlie's article, but it's absolutely true. And if uh, if if the service academies don't interest you, and perhaps college life does, but military service is something you still feel called to do, the ROTC is a great blend of that, and the end result is the same. You come to ROTC. We teach you some stuff. We slap some lieutenant bars on you and you get to serve in the United States Army. So there's my shameless plug, uh, not just for ROTC, but also the Buckeye Battalion. So appreciate that. No, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to do it uh, as a, uh, I, I don't know what I was, an aborted ROTC cadet myself in my college years. Now, I mean, it was the 90s. There wasn't a war going on and all that. But it just, it just while you were talking about the value of ROTC, I, I was thinking about my own experience with it. And um, I, I don't want to cast aspersions unnecessarily on the guy that was running the program. Um, but, you know, it was a different, it was a different breed of service member, I think back then. And I think 
there's, uh, I think high school kids right now have the privilege of learning from real wartime leaders like yourself and others that are running the programs right now. And that's, and, and that shouldn't be taken for granted. There's a lot of institutional knowledge out there and, it, and you know, I know you're knocking yourself out to make sure you pass it along. Um, and I hope high school kids are savvy enough to take advantage of that. Um, Marshall, let's talk about service to school. Hey, thanks for mentioning that, Chris. And I, I want to start this by, again, pulling out something from the Buchel notes. Um, you know, the mission of the U.S. Military Academy, we had to memorize it while we were there. The portion that I still say to this day, um, especially some of my soldiers who are considering, you know, whether to stay in or leave the military, is, you know, professional growth throughout a career as an officer in the United States Army. Okay. Um, you know, for the enlisted soldiers, professional growth as a soldier, career as a soldier, that could be for four years or for 20 and then a lifetime of selfless service to the nation. We don't, uh, the, the military academy doesn't assume that, that all of its graduates are going to stay until retirement or have a full even 30-year career where they make general officer. But they are formulating leaders of character for a lifetime of selfless service to the nation. You know, Marshall McGurk's assessment, one of the best ways that soldiers do that is through gaining education. Um, especially over the last 20 years, one of the blessings that has come about has been the various, you know, um, veterans organizations, you know, GI bills, legislations to help soldiers, you know, and I would I would argue anybody from across all the joint components to help them uh, get their education. Service to school is one of those organizations um, that that helps you know anybody who's leaving service apply to you know what was originally founded for you know apply to an Ivy League school, um, apply to some place where. Hey, guess what? You know, private 11 Bravo or, you know, um, you know, whatever a, a lower rating class of a of a of a sailor is, you know, that third class, you know, not a not a petty officer yet who's done six years served on ships or, hey, you know, Air Force staff sergeant who's getting out after eight. Yes, you can apply to Yale. You can apply to Columbia. You can apply to Washington. You can apply to some private school that, you know, that has a has a high economic cost. And here's here's how we can get you there through scholarship applications, um, through cutting through some of that bureaucratic red tape and also helping them, you know, connect them with the right program for them. Um, you know, I, I, it's great to see that because again, I, I think, you know, again, Marshall and McGurk's assessment that that diversity is important. Um, and that diversity of service, again, that lifetime of service, you know, to the nation, I think we can look back throughout history. We can see that with, especially in the enlisted soldiers, you know, Norman Mailer, you know, World War II veteran, the quick and the dead author, Kirk Vonnegut, same thing, prisoner of war. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis and, and J.R.R. Tolkien, World War I veterans who, who crafted literature, which I believe is still going to be read 100 years from today. Uh, and then you also have, you know, an individual that I've written about, E.B. Sledge, you know, a Marine who went from Peleliu to Okinawa, um, was one of maybe a dozen in his entire battalion that wasn't wounded. Um and, uh, you know, went from Marine Corps, you know, Marine Corps corporal to, you know, Dr. Sledge, doctorate in zoology, taught it, you know, taught down at, you know, I believe is, uh, oh, I'm going to, I apologize. I've just forgotten the name, but he taught at a university down in, in lower Alabama, um, you know, taught biology and zoology for, you know, at least three decades there, you know, mm -hmm. and so that, that's that lifetime of service to, to the nation. Uh, I firmly believe that it comes through education service to school is one of the organizations that will help veterans get their education. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, it, it, it occurs to me that a lot of, a lot of times we talk about civ mill divide and how to bridge that gap on this show. 
and um, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, the infiltration of veterans into higher education is cannot be anything but good um, for both for both the service members and for the schools. And I'm glad you phrased it like that, Marshall, because I do think um, you know there's kind of that divide between experience and education, and to weigh one too heavily is a disservice to a well-rounded person and a well-rounded discussion and well-rounded thinker, et cetera. And I think having service members that have a little life experience kind of know a little bit about what real problems look like and then interjecting them into the the ivory tower is um, probably a very healthy thing. Anyway, for that being said, um, and that's probably a whole episode in and of itself. Although we kind of talked about it once, I think, Charlie, but we probably can go back and talk about higher education and the military again. For sure. Uh, Charlie, let's let's talk about um, I so I'm going to stand on my original point when we talked about this before the show. I think it's Brian Bourgeois. I think yeah. that's that's his name. Okay. Right. Um, but let's let's talk about him. And I'm glad you brought him up. And and I'll just preface it by saying um, this is not simply just a token nod to the Navy on a day when we're discussing Army Navy. But this is something that is worthwhile to bring up at any point. Um, and Charlie, I'll let you tell everybody what we should know about him. Yeah, so Byron Owen was the name of the Naval Academy grad, a longtime friend of ours in Havoc Journal, and uh, for me personally, he, we were going to have him on the show today. He couldn't make it for because he's doing very important Marine Corps stuff out in Hawaii right now. But if he were here, I know that he'd mention Brian, who was the commander of SEAL Team Eight, died in a fast rope accident, and Navy has and uh, and Brian was a, a Navy football player, so Navy has taken him on as as their uh, motivator for for this game which i think is good his number was 13 so they're gonna they see a lot of 13 references out there on army navy and uh, i just it's just another indication of how inherently dangerous our profession is and how a game like this kind of brings attention to that and to what service members do on a daily basis so this the fast roping accident was domestic. He was in training. He fell and he's dead now. And that's a shame. And uh, it's a loss to the nation. And I'm sure a lot of people will be thinking about him come tomorrow. Yeah. It's one of those things that makes it, um, and Mike, I know we talked about this offline before the show, but it's one of those things that makes it um, transcend your typical football rivalry because it's hard as an army guy to simply just root against Navy when they're representing Brian Bourgeois and what he was doing um, during the game, you kind of were like, eh, okay. Yeah. That respect, you know, I, I can't, I can't hate you. You're not evil. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I 100%. Um, I think it was uh, uh, president Eisenhower that once said uh, general Eisenhower that, uh, you know, 364 days of the year, um, you know, we're, we're ab- absolutely joined at the hip, but there's no more fierce rivals than, Army Navy on on that one particular day. I think he actually said 364 and a half days in one <laughs> afternoon. Uh, they're fierce rivals. But right, right. A lot, a lot of respect for my, uh, you know, my brothers and sisters uh, to our left and right, uh, irregardless of branch and uh, soft, conventional, et cetera. You know, special heart, uh, uh, part of my heart for for those in the the soft community. And I've I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of those folks overseas. Uh, certainly sad to see a familiar face uh, pop up on the news recently. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah it, it certainly has a significance. And we also talked offline that, 
this is a game, not not the only game. Uh, when you touch on Air Force Two for those service academy uh, football games and everything, and other sports, but this is this is one of the few games, uh, certainly the one that's most nationally televised that everyone can see. That um, everyone on the field is willing to die for each other uh, on future battlefields, as well as for everyone else in the stands. And I think that that shouldn't be lost in just the pageantry of the game and the meaning behind it when we when we celebrate the Army Navy game tomorrow, despite the outcome and look forward to future games that have even better looking uniforms on the army side when it's featuring the 75th Ranger regiment. <laughs> so we're completely unbiased the whole way through the show. We did that astonishingly well. Um, okay. Mike Marshall, Charlie. Thanks guys. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks Great. so much, Chris. I really enjoyed being here with, with two of my long-term friends and great guys and, Looking forward to get them on the show again. And I'm just going to close it off with a resounding beat Navy and leave it to last words to, to Mike and Marshall. It's a, it's great to be here, Chris. Again, thanks for, for everything that you do uh, for the community with this podcast. And and thanks for, you know, allowing me to come on with, with two people that I consider friends and mentors. Um, and yeah, as Charlie said, beat Navy. Yeah. Same, same thing here. Not, not much else to be said. I, I got a little skin in the game. Like I normally do. My brother and I typically do a bet associated with the game last year. It was uh, the winner got to send the loser a coffee mug. They had to drink coffee out of for the entire month of January at work, which was great. Um, it, it actually, I, I, I forget exactly what it said, but it, it, it was a, it was a good one that my brother had to carry around Southcom uh, as part of the CAG there. So it was great. This year it's a, uh, it's a social media post. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's uh, either me and some, some Navy garb on uh, social media or my brother holding a sign that says, God, God made Rangers so seals could have heroes too. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so, so Charlie, we need to, we need to make sure uh, Lisa's tracking that so that can be reposted totally. and we can see, Oh, and guys, I, I, I said goodbye. And I said, thank you. And all that. And now I realize I've, I forgot the most important question I was going to ask all you guys. So really quickly going around the table, Charlie, you first, who wins and what's the score? Army mon- monkey stomping uh, two touchdowns easily eight, three versus three and eight, even with army Navy rivalry army runs away with this one. All right, Marshall army is going to win this game by 21 points. At least <laughs> Mike, I'm going to go army. Because uh, I don't have a Brutus head next to me uh, in Lee Corso style right now, um, I'm going to go 31-17 Army, and we pass five times for a victory. Whoa, that's bold! Wow, that's five more times than we normally do. That's, <laughs> that'll be great. Interesting, wow. boy. Yeah. Okay, so um, place your bets accordingly. Um, you now have the prognostications. This episode, we'll see how quickly Mike turns this episode around. This episode may come out in time for the game or it might come out after. So everyone will make note of those answers and judge accordingly. <laughs> All right. To everybody listening. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please give us a review, preferably with five stars. You can say hey, whatever you want about us, questions, comments, snide remarks, any kind of feedback. But if you can attach it to five stars, we deeply appreciate it because the metrics do matter. Show notes will be available at the weekly or in my accompanying article at havoc journal, or wherever you're listening to this podcast, just scroll up or scroll down and you will see 
all the show notes of everything we listed, including the plugs that we gave at the end of the show. There'll also be alibis if I misstated, misspoke, misremembered anything. That also goes for our guests. But as you guys know, generally, nobody takes me up on that because I'm the only one that seems to brain fart in a way that I have to write it out and uh, make it an alibi after the fact. From Ernest Hemingway to Lee Marvin, from Jimi Hendrix to Mel Brooks, there has always been a very special type of American who is a veteran and an artist. After 20 years of war, a whole new generation of veterans are infiltrating artistic realms from poetry to theater, from dance to metal, from watercolor painting to stand-up comedy. Savage Wonder is a podcast about warriors and artists. It's produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events. And of course, full disclosure, that's my nonprofit. So if you want to hear me conduct one-on-one long-form interviews with veterans of the military, law enforcement, fire, EMS, intelligence services, or DOD contractors who are artists, please consider adding the Savage Wonder podcast to your queue. Or you can go directly to the source and always find it at savagewonder.podbean.com. Again, that's savagewonder.podbean.com. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Mike Kelvington, Marshall McGurk, and Charlie Faint. And we'll keep trying to make order out of chaos when we see you next time for the Weekly Havoc. Yeah, guys, that was, that was awesome. So we'll see how quickly um, my producer can turn this around. Um, I told him we'd like to get it out, preferably before the game, um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how how that works out. Well, um, if if it comes out after the game and I'm wrong, have him edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I well, thought cool. the boldest prediction was five passes. But... That, that's bold, yeah. man. But it is Army Navy. God knows what they're gonna do. Yeah. I may tricks up the sleeve they got. That's right. 